Green Team Academy podcast, episode 67. Tune in to my interview with Ian Thomas Tafoya, environmental justice changemaker. Hey, are you ready to make a positive impact for the planet? If so, then you're in the right place. My name is Joan Gregerson, and I am an eco-nut. Thanks for joining me today, and don't forget to head over to the greenteamacademy.com website to pick up plenty of other resources to help you on your way. And with that, let's get started. Hey, Green Team, welcome back. I'm so glad that you're going to be hanging out with me today because I get to introduce you to an amazing activist, somebody who has dedicated his life to social justice and environmental justice, and this is Ian Thomas Tafoya. Um, got to run into Ian. He was one of the invited guests at the, or- the meeting I organized for our Green Team Accelerator Lab on October 8th about environmental policy making. And as usual, he blew everybody away with all the experience he's had changing laws, changing policies at the local and uh, state and national levels. So what I'm going to do next is share with you the interview that I recorded with Ian for the Earth Week Summit, and that was in uh, March of 2019. And no surprise that in the months right after that, that Ian's been up to um, more amazing stuff. So I want to give you a quick update on Resilient Denver, and then we'll turn over to the rest, the, the interview that I recorded for the Earth Week Summit. Okay, so one of the things that Ian's been doing since March is that um, on Earth Day, so April 22nd, 2019, he and a handful of others um, started a petition to for a ballot initiative for the 2019 ballot, um, and the initiative was called Resilient Denver. You can follow what they're doing, they're following Resilient Denver or on um, their website or their Facebook page. So the idea of the initiative is to establish a new office of climate action and resiliency, as well as to do something similar to a carbon tax, but instead of taxing the emissions, this would be an excise tax on natural gas and electricity consumption. Um, And so they got off the ground with that and pretty soon the city council and the mayor saw this coming and they decided to, to try and get ahead of it. And so the the council was proposing their version of some kind of excise tax um, and an office. And um, there were a lot of different ideas there. And what happened was on August 26th, the mayor and the city council came out with a joint statement um, saying that that they would establish Uh, a new Office of Climate Action, Sustainability, and Resiliency that will report directly to the mayor. They will launch a formal process to examine the needs and the gaps um, around climate action with um, staff and experts, stakeholders, and community members, and as well proposing $8 million increase in funding in this coming year for climate mitigation. 
So the idea is basically let's study what the heck that we have going on here through a formal facilitated stakeholders process, get that office started, um, kick in the $8 million, and then next year be at a place where they can make some more um, specific, more concrete um, suggestions and changes. But, you know, I think anybody who has followed this process would say for sure that it was the the resident-led ballot initiative, that resilient Denver, that really lit a fire under everyone that made this happen so quickly. So it's just one more example of how people like you and I can really make a difference at our city level, whether it's a you live in a small community or somewhere uh, pretty good size like Denver. All right, so with that, hang on to your hats because I'm going to turn you over to the interview I did earlier and you're going to get to hear from Ian himself. Okay, and here we go. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Earth Week Virtual Summit. Thank you so much for taking time to hang out with us. And today in this session, it's a real treat because you're going to get to meet Ian Thomas Tafoya. And, uh, and Ian is going to be talking about growing an environmental movement, uh, a Latinx environmental justice movement in Colorado. And so he's got a ton of experience in different aspects of this. And I know a lot of you out there are seeing similar things of, of areas where there are environmental problems, but not just in general, but are affecting the, the people that maybe need, need a little extra help or don't have as many resources. And they're the ones that often are, end up struggling and um, having these things imposed upon them where it might not happen in a more affluent neighborhood. So there's a lot of really interesting stuff to, to think about and, and understand with this. And so luckily we've got Ian with us and he's gonna talk a little bit about that. I just wanna give you a little background. So uh, Ian is a small business owner, but he is um, active in local, state, and federal affairs. I know when I reached out to him the other day, he's like, oh, sorry, I can't um, uh, chat right now because I'm in Washington, D.C., uh, working on, on expressing um, concern about some of the rollbacks that are happening. So it's really neat because I'm sure this is something that a lot of us feel that is very important, but maybe we haven't personally stepped up and done. Um, so I think he'll talk a little bit more about some of his background as we go. But with that, I want to just say hello, Ian, and thank you so much for joining us. And um, it's so kind of you to make the time. And what I'm wondering is, how did you get into this line of uh, your life's work where, where you're passionate about this, this work that you're doing? Yeah, hello. Welcome to everybody who's watching and happy Earth Day. Earth Day actually is my birthday. Um, and so ever since I was a small child, we've been celebrating Earth Day. I don't know um, if that's chicken or egg, you know, which one comes first. But as long as I can remember... Um, my mother talked to me about how it was a privilege to be born on Earth Day, that there were rivers on fire, that there was a lot of work to be done about 50 years ago, and why people organized. And um, my mom is a social worker. Uh, my father um, and my mother grew up in the Chicano movement. And so I think that I was taught a lot of lessons on how, 
how to engage and how to be a part of the solution. That is, that's, I guess all those things are kind of a mixed blessing because, you know, they were probably uh, feeling the impacts of a lot of things. So were needed to stand up. The, the cool thing about that is that because of that experience, you learned that outlook that I think a lot of people, you know, just get kind of the outlook from the school books, like, wow, we're the greatest country, we're the bastion of democracy, and everything's, everything's cool. So, I think some of that's true. I don't think until I went to university that I really got a full look at it all. And then um, your whole life, I mean, you know, the older you get, the more you see that the books aren't always telling the truth. All right. So tell us a little bit more about what you're working on right now. I understand you're with the Colorado Latino Forum. So maybe talk about that and some of the, the work that you're doing in, in this effort to, to have a strong uh, environmental justice movement um, around for Latinx in Colorado. So the Colorado Latino Forum is a 501c4. For those people who aren't familiar with what that is, a typical nonprofit's a 501c3. It's an organization you give money to and you can write it off on your taxes, but they have to mind their P's and Q's when it comes to politics. A C4 is the opposite of that. You can't write it off on taxes, but we have the ability to leverage your voice and our voices and the money that's donated to us to do the kind of work that fits our mission. Our mission is about in, um, increasing the political and social strength um, um, for Latinas and Latinos in Colorado. It was started... Uh, more than 10 years ago around redistricting, trying to make sure that their power wasn't stripped away from them um, during the redistricting process at the state and the local level. Um, it has grown and had so many people who have served on the board are very powerful Latinos and Latinas in the community. I have been a board member for going on three years. Um, I am the environmental justice chair and a housing co-chair. Um, I work predominantly in those policies, although we do a lot of work around um, social justice reform for criminal justice. So we did a lot of work that had to do with um, uh, reforming uh, use of force by the police. We have a lot to do in the, the school system, although to be fair, DPS in the last most recent disparity study is as segregated as it was um, before they integrated the schools and forced busing. So we've gone, we're kind of going back through this cycle. Um, you know, in housing policy, we're fighting for inclusionary housing. We're trying to stem gentrification. Um, you name it, I think we're involved in it. Um, I'm one of the younger members um, that's on the board, and I was brought on originally to do environmental work, but I have experience working in the government around housing and zoning, and so I do some of that as well. Okay. So uh, that is good to know that there is a group like that 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 is focused on on keeping um, the Latino voice in all these different areas. And so that's really important work. And so what, what is the, what's kind of the main project? What are you focusing on right now? Well, in my work, I think my work has been really focused around um, air quality, air quality, energy development. So whether it be coal, fire plant, or a refinery that we have in the middle of town. And then we have a section of town um, in North Denver, we're predominantly Hispanic, crosses over two jurisdictions, um, zip code 80216. It's considered one of the most polluted zip codes in America, has really complex and historical legacy of industrial use, immigrant populations, um, highway transportation projects, water quality, soil contamination. It's a very, very complex um, 
bag that's going on over there. When I, I got involved working on that in that neighborhood when I worked for the city council of Denver, Colorado, and it was the neighborhood that was adjacent to where I grew up. And they began discussing a giant highway expansion through this neighborhood, um, making it three football fields wide in some places um, and totaling over $2 billion for just two miles of highway. It's quite absurd and was connected um, to this Olympic bid that fell through also thanks to the organizing work of us and our allies. Um, so we started working on this project. We ended up filing a Clean Air Act lawsuit, um, a title. A title. You, you, what kind of lawsuit? I'm sorry. Clean Air Act lawsuit. Um, under the guise is that they were going to be violating air quality standards with the increased load of traffic um, and also the danger of building this new highway, which would require digging 40 feet below the ground. And the soil there um, has historic contamination of heavy metals. Um, from both a smelter um, and possibly from um, that slag being moved throughout the community. And so the longer we work together, the, these different groups and coalitions, the more we started to see how complex and interdependent a lot of these issues were. We ended up winning a Clean Air Act, and we settled in the Clean Air Act lawsuit for a cumulative health assessment. We got money to plant trees, and we got money to have them really take a look at what's going on there so we can figure it out. Is it the trains and the, train, the trains that are going through there, both the sound and the dust, the soil contamination, the water contamination, the air quality, um, you name it, we're trying to figure it out. Um, this neighborhood also has a refinery in it and a coal-fired power plant. Or, or, and an um, electrical plant or is, is also there. And so we, when I was in D.C., when I was saying I couldn't talk, with, I couldn't talk, I was there testifying about the rollback of the mercury rules, which have a lot to do with coal fire and production of electricity from fossil fuels. And then I was also working with my representative's office about hydrogen cyanide, which is um, a toxic chemical used in World War II. And it's a chemical that, um, is emitted by most refineries through a process around the United States and the world. So tell us a little bit more about the mercury rollback. What is going on and um, yeah, who's, who's doing that and what can people do if they're interested in, in, um, in speaking up about that? So mercury, we've, we've known... Um, Probably for the last 20 years, there's been some strong science around mercury and the problems that can cause, um, especially for youth and for fetal development in mothers, causing brain damage and long-term loss of IQ. Um, mercury is a waste product from burning coal predominantly. Um, and when they first wanted to start regulating it, it's and just, you know, people say, you know, when women are pregnant, they're not supposed to eat tuna and things from the sea. That has to do with mercury. It has to do with the fact that the mercury that burns eventually lands and the heavy metals fall into the water and they start to bioaccumulate. So smaller animals eat bigger animals, eat bigger animals, and you can have large amounts of mercury and mercury poisoning in your life. Um, so Obama's administration passed a law that said, you're going to clean up your act industry and you're going to implement technology that will hopefully drastically reduce the impact on the community and, and clean up your processes. Um, while they were doing that and picking up mercury, these scrubbers as, as they call them, they actually found they had a lot of other health benefits for these other small particulate matter. 
And so at the time it was estimated it would cost, it would cost the energy industry about $10 billion to implement this, but there'd be nearly a hundred billion dollars in public gain from all the health benefits. They call them co-benefits. So after Obama's administration, you see the coal and fire plants um, sue, and it goes all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court says, I want you to take a look at your assessment again. Um, and meantime, the rules stay in place, and 90% of the industry implements them. Um, and we've seen in some places over 90% reduction in the mercury causing toxics to be scrubbed out of the air, which is a great thing. Um, fast forward to Trump's administration in which I've testified at four separate hearings about four separate chemicals this year or four separate issues where they're trying to roll back the rules. Um, Wheeler, well, we know Scott Pruitt, who was disgraced out of office for his corruption. Wheeler happens to have worked for this company called Murray Electrical, which is a coal-fired business plants that produce energy throughout most of the South, um, the South, Southern states. And they've dragged their feet on implementing. And they're the ones that are asking for this change. So Trump's administration comes back and they say, well, we don't want to talk about co-benefits anymore. So it went from $100 billion in benefits to what they quantified at $9 million in benefits. So they say, why would you ever implement a rule that costs businesses $9 billion, but it only does $9 million worth of good for the community? There are, this is a one situation where you see many of the electrical plants who've already implemented see the gain, and they're united with the people to testify on behalf of it. Um, it really comes down to this one dirty polluter, and it's saying, why are we subsidizing the dirtiest form of energy? Because... Trump made promises to bring coal back, but it brings coal back at the risk of people of color and low-income people who live, live near these plants. So when you are um, testifying, what, what specific ask are you, are you saying? Is this asking the EPA? Is it asking the um, Supreme Court? Who, who are you asking kind of for what? Well... It's, it's kind of a multi-tiered effort. So I wrote an op-ed asking my peers to contact Cory Gardner and ask Cory Gardner not to vote for Wheeler. When he and Cory Gardner for people. He's my state senator, the Colorado right. state. In Colorado, our state, one We've of our state We have a split. We have a Republican and we have a Democrat. And we knew the Democrat wasn't going to vote for Wheeler. Um, and so we targeted him, but he voted for him anyways. So then, you know, you're targeting your people to write it in. There's an open, there's an open process um, through a few more weeks here into April for the community to give feedback. And there's also always an opportunity to ask um, for more time to give feedback, right? They can extend these public comments. Also, sometimes these public comments are quite charades. They feel that way. Um, I testified for one. Um, so this year I testified on the chemical disaster rule, the waters of the USA rule, a methane rollback, and, and this one on mercury toxics. And when Obama's administration was in power, many of these had hearings in 15, 20 cities. They do it in one city and they give people 10 days to get there. And so these organizations have to really scramble to try to find people who can, A, make the time in their schedule, B, feel comfortable going there to speak. And then three, they try to cram in a lot of these lobbying efforts. Or I shouldn't say lobby because I'm not a paid lobbyist. I'm an advocate. I advocate for my community. Um, and so you show up, you talk to a board of 
scientists and administrators who work for the EPA. Um, I think one thing that was really notable to me that I brought up in my last one was um, every, all four of them that I went to this year, every single person sitting on the table was a white person. And I said, you have the power to affect the lives of people who aren't like you, but please protect us and don't do what your masters tell you to do, which is roll back things in favor of industry. And so, you know, I, this, this last one, the mercury toxic standards, I went to DC, I took a red eye, I, I flew the six hours, went straight to the EPA building, um, left there went and lobbied press conferences, the whole thing. They, they try to make a bigger deal about it as we can so that we can make it noisy for people to participate. Yeah. So when you're saying that, that is a big change because the, the whole power plant regulation that was uh, looked at during the Obama administration, you're right. There were hearings all across the country where people could go, you know, write in their own state um, to in the several days where you could go and testify uh, what your idea was about this, the power plant rules. And so this, this idea of rolling back the regulations and doing it in such a way that, as you said, is a little bit of a charade that it appears that they're getting public comment, but really restricting it. Um, in in people being able to to step up and and to your point, if the people sitting there tend to be uh, white, affluent, and you know maybe that makes sense for somebody who who is comfortable in that situation and has an extra thousand dollars in the bank and can just fly across country and take off a few days of work and do all that. But for a lot of us, that that is not the case. And as you said, in particular, people of color and, and low income populations. Well, I, I, I want to really emphasize to those that are listening that the thing that's the most sneaky about what they're trying to do with the mercury rules is they're trying to do away with this idea of what they call co-benefits that you shouldn't be able to quantify all the health benefits as a reason for doing uh, for pro proposing regulation on industry is insane. Um, it's something that if, if they uphold this, and of course we're going to challenge it in the courts, I, I want to give a shout out honestly to Earth Justice. They're a national nonprofit legal aid fund. They're the greatest organization I've ever met in my entire life. The way they've empowered my community um, and helped us through the procedural steps that we normally wouldn't be able to is pretty amazing. But they're they're going to, they'll sue on this. We, we can't lose this in court. We can't, this is would be like losing citizens United. It would be giving so much power of saying that economics comes before health and safety first. Yeah. So that is mind blowing. So that hundred billion dollars worth. So it's, it's kind of like saving money on the schools. Like, okay, well let's turn off the heat and the, and the lights. <laughs> So that we can save that money rather than understanding that, yeah, if you're educating kids, you would need heat and light because of all the things that that education is then going on to do. So to be pulling that out and looking at it in isolation is, uh, is pretty rough. <clears throat> and so what would you say, Ian, um, if somebody is interested in, in working with, 
with the Colorado Latino Forum supporting your work or, um, or even um, stepping up, speaking up about some of these, these issues, these rollbacks, what, what would you recommend for folks? How can they either get in touch with you or you mentioned Earth Justice as a, a resource? Uh, what, what would you recommend that, what would be your call to action for people? Well, certainly, if you want to contact me, you can. My name is Ian, E-A-N, and it's, my email is E-A-N at C-L-F, C-L-F, Denver.org. The Colorado Latino Forum is Googleable. It doesn't, you know, any environmental group that's connected, I think, to the federal work, um, Green Latinos, the Sierra Club, your local, your local ones in Colorado, we have one called Conservation Colorado. There's the Western Resource Advocates that branch across um, tracking what the Department of Interior is doing in the West. Um, there's a Climate Action Campaign, Clean Water for All. Um, there's so many groups that are working, and we're working better together now than I've ever witnessed in my entire life. Um, I feel like every time they tell us no, we come back together stronger, and I'm starting to see more um, of my people stand up um, I want to be clear that if you want to support the Latino Forum, you don't have to be Latino. Um, you can support our organization and donate to our organization. It just means you support our mission, which is to fight for those rights for those people. I happen to be a, an educator and an actor, and I work for the Black Actors Guild. I'm not Black, but we serve predominantly Black students, and that's what the mission is about. And so I just want to make it clear to people, you can support missions, if you, even if you don't feel like that's your identity. It's about recognizing other identities and saying that you want to stand for them and stand with them. Um, in Colorado, there's so much work that's happening. We're so lucky um, that we work so hard to turn our state democratic. But the Democrats that we've elected have really tack are tackling climate change. They're tackling electric vehicles. They're helping us tackle these toxic um, issues. Um, and I want to make it clear to people, I think, that local and state issues are really, really important. Um, if I've learned anything from watching politics in the last 10 years that I've really been paying attention, it's that when climate change comes, how you're prepared locally matters and don't have faith the federal government's coming to save you. You look at, you look at Puerto Rico, you look at the forest fires, you look at the floods, you look at the hurricanes, they're not writing the checks. Just like they're not going to solve our problems with housing and homelessness. We have to give up on this idea of federalism being the perfect tool because I'm there and it's broken. But at the local level, you can use, you can use states' rights. You can fight for the things you want. You can change ordinances locally. Um, I myself was the deputy campaign manager of a green roof and solar campaign. We mandated green roofs and solar panels on giant buildings that use the most energy. And sprawl, I want to be clear, can go out or up. They both disconnect people. A 20-story building disconnects neighbors as much as 20 miles of urban sprawl or of suburban sprawl disconnects people. And so, you know, conscious urban design and those kind of tools, local level zoning, those, those things matter. Um, and I wish people would participate in them more. We just held a large summit of North Denver advocates, Latinos, non-Latinos, people who are working to make these things better. And it became clear to us you have to work at the county level. You have to work at the state level. You have to talk about zoning. You have to work and ask for federal assistance. There's regulations on all levels. It's, it's a, a huge and monumental task, but if we think about it and we work together, I think we can do it. We're going to do it in Denver. So what you're saying is something I, I talk about, like the engagement ladder, 
Um, Because I see a lot of teams that get together and they focus on one level. And that's, that's great to start with. You know, you can... You you start maybe by figuring out, oh, I myself could bring my coffee cup to instead of, you know, using something and throwing it away. But then the next level is, okay, well, let's talk amongst ourselves on what issues are we having and how can we work together and, you know, change the recycling in our schools or whatever it is. But, you know, at some level, you're if you're open to it, you're going to be seeing the things that you're talking about, which is that the... The rules of the game aren't uh, aren't propelling us in the way that we want to go. They're sending us off the wrong direction. So whether it's pay as you throw for for waste or zoning or or housing, any of these things. And I, I know I had an experience when I was in Longmont. And we started I started an environmental nonprofit there, and over time it went from having no sustainability coordinator, no sustainability plan, um, to, to getting those things within a couple of years. And then when the U.S. pulled out of the Paris Climate Accord, Longmont was one of them that, that stepped up and said, oh, no, we're going to, you know, they signed up for the Ready for 100 for re- renewables. And it just is mind-blowing to me because as you're just saying that, you can actually make an impact on the city level, on the county level, and it's really much easier to make that. And so once you, we understand, as you were just saying, that those big changes are really going to come from the cities and counties, it reinforces that even if you think, oh, there's not much I can do, but maybe I can go to a city council meeting and express myself, that's huge. Do, do yeah. that. I would say that I saw myself when I first got involved, it was, you're right, about my own personal choice and then how I was eating. And then I worked as a group of students to bring um, composting to our university. There's a tri-universities. We called ourselves a rare composting. Um, We tried to bring community gardens. Um, One of my very first, I think, political win that I ever had was to get recycling in the Denver parks. They didn't have it. It's still not in all the parks. Um, it's in most of the regional parks and it started with me showing up to one meeting for a class and they were like, you can speak. And I was like, okay. And I did. And we, I said, why don't you have recycling in the parks? I said, it didn't matter or it mattered, but it was like in the long-term plan. And I was like, what? So I brought back 600 signatures one month and then the next month and the next month. And then they did it. And I think the threshold of capacity building is much smaller at the local level. Um, if you want, if you can get, couple hundred people to to contact a city council person it's way more than they're used to dealing with on one issue and so it overwhelms them and they're like oh i got to do something about this and so you know then i went on to work on biking stuff and and air quality and um you know i wanted protected bike lanes and i wanted to give people choices and i wanted them to get home safe and then i realized eventually that i got to a place you talk about the rules being rigged in another way there are people who aren't given a choice they're being made sick and they're not given choices. And no matter how many bike lanes I fight for or how many recycling cans I put in there, these people are still being poisoned because the industry is paying to do it. It's pay to play. What you're saying and what you've dedicated your life to is doing all of the above. And um, an yeah, that, that you can't just, you can't just go to one level and maybe you personally, maybe not everybody is kind of a, a super activist like Ian, but at least be aware that it is 
it's the local level. It's your city. It's your county. It's your state. It's it's the the U.S. things, and maybe there's even international movements that that it really. And this is what I think is um, both so daunting and also both so, so exciting about this time, is that you know like your example of if let's say we got recycling in every park in the world, like that's not enough. And, you know, let's say that we just figured out gentrification. That's not enough. I mean, that's huge. And that's not enough. We really need to do everything. Everything's going to have to change and it's going to have to change really quickly. And so understanding uh, so it's really interesting to see your evolution to starting out with your mom saying, you were born on Earth Day, and this is a special thing, and, and this is going to be part of your, your life's mission. And then, you know, your own personal choices, and then working to bring in recycling and community gardens, and then under, starting to understand. And I guess it's, to me, it's kind of an awakening to to become a fully functional adult where you're, you're able to understand the magnitude of these things and not shut down emotionally or whatever, not to just not go, ah, uh, too much. I highly encourage self-care. I think it's really easy to be emotional in this. You're touching a lot of people. You're taking on a lot of energy. I know that, um, they actually, I actually, when we settled at I-70, um, I cried for a couple days about whether it was the right decision or not. Um, when, when they announced the settlement, I was there in the hearing and the cameras were all around us and they wrote about it in the paper. They said, Yin Tafoya, noticeably emotional. And I'm like, yeah, and these are emotional things. And, and I, I talked to my mom about it. I don't think I really cried about it because you're trying to be so strong for others. Um, but I do think it's okay to, and I think it's okay for us to, to, to be emotional, to look to each other. And, and I think if you look at this cultural depression we're in or people with depression um, in general and addiction, that we need to be asking each other more. Are you okay? Is this too much? How can I help you? How can I support you? And, and these, there are a lot of people who are caring and they don't even realize it. Um, and there's these moms that I interact with often who live in the shadows of these industries. They're just doing everything they can to keep their head above water. But then when you really get to sit down with them, they're sad. They're sad that they can't do more to make their child's life better. Cause that's what a mom wants to do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. And so, so this is what I think is so fascinating about this is it is this huge challenge where we do need to really bring it to bring the best that we have and we're not going to be able to do it alone and so as you were stating too um, because my my idea is that if we build community we can do anything and if we don't build community then almost anything we try can fail and and so that's exactly what you were saying was you know you're you have all these different groups focusing on water or air or Latino or something. But when it gets to be the level that it is right now, where pretty much everything is at risk, that calling people to work together and to collaborate um, is, is difficult, but it's also better. Doing solidarity, that's the word. And I've been feeling really inspired by it. In Denver, the teachers went on strike. 
And the teacher strike, I think, they shut the city down. I mean, they were shutting roads down. And I think the, the wage movement and labor movement, I think, is something that my generation hadn't seen. I actually wrote an op-ed. It didn't get published. And I, it was, it was, I was being jovial, and I was daring the teachers to strike because we needed them to. I think my generation needs to see they have that power. In three days, they got 18% wage increase. You see what they do in France where they shut things down. I've traveled in South America, I mean, in, in Central America, and the amount of civil unrest in South America and Central America is not broadcast on our TVs. Um, but there are people who are standing together. My favorite one, um, which I've had a chance to do a couple of times and call to action is they won't pay, shut it down. And I think we need to shut it down. We need to shut down these, these, um, you know, this environmental injustice. We need to shut down this wage problems. We need to shut down the civil rights infringement around the homeless. I think, um, we can and we must, and, and we have to do, if you look at the 60s and the 70s, they passed so many things, the Fair Housing Act, the Civil Rights Act. There was a, there's a moment in time that you can do these things, and um, I think it's picking up speed. We passed election reforms against corporations in the city and county of Denver. We're, we're facing it on the state of Colorado, um, gay and civil rights, drug policy. I think as you focus in, I think Colorado is leading the world right now. And we will continue to um, through our citizen-driven dem democratic stuff. I mean, we petition and put these things on the ballot because the politicians won't do it. And now we're starting to replace them. Now we're starting to replace them. And, and uh, I just, again, I want to go back to self-care. I do a lot. I do a lot. I'm, I, I practice my own work. Oh, I did want to say this. You were talking about um, all these different groups. I thought about this for a long time. So I think the environment, you take any issue and I think it's, it's like a color wheel. Things are connected. If you're biking, then you're connected to walking, you're connected to these other things. And these nonprofits for a long time have been fighting for scraps with each other and not showing up for calls of action when they're supposed to. So then I thought, well, how do you get to it? It's actually a three-dimensional shape or this way, but the call to action and it comes to a cone. And if you stir all this energy up, like when you stir water up, all of it can come together for a second, you know, like for a fountain, and then it goes back out. And so it's okay if we're not always showing up for each other every time, but I think if we can get better at it, and you were saying if you're not a super activist, well, I have friends that are super activists and issues that I'm like, whoa, like, I, I, don't, I don't know, I don't have the energy for that. And we show up for each other. And, and social media helps us with this. Because it's really easy for me to watch what my one friend who I know is an expert on this policy, I can watch them. And when they need me, I'll be there. And, and we just have to build that. And I also think we've been having a lot of talk with Latino activists about how do we lift each other when we fail? So they tried to pass some immigrant stuff, immigrant rights stuff this year in state house and it all collapsed. And I've been working on this hydrogen cyanide bill at the state house which is nearly collapsed, but we got it through at the last minute. But he was sitting there with me when I got the call and he knew exactly how I feel. I felt. And we were like, enough. Like we, if we go to each other when we lose, then we have a stronger coalition the next time. So that's, that's a good, that's good perspective that you don't need to be able to do this all on your own but you do need to be able to communicate and understand who, who is on top of it. And when, when they need people to just show up, 
that that you're ready to do that. Send the letter, yeah. write the letter, do the postcard, share the message. It's easy. Um, I know, you know, I miss the old good old days when social media was all just cat photos and stuff, but <laughs> I think we're beyond that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, when you see, see uh, like that rollbacks on mercury and yeah, it's okay to dump mining waste into water and, you know, just really unbelievable stuff that was so hard fought um, that is being rolled back pretty much every single day. Um, and, and so that's my idea is that we understand that we're in this really special time of, of human history that what we do really matters. And, and being able to lift someone up, encourage them, be, be positive, be open, uh, learn about something, you know, make a phone call. And all of these things are important. Um, and, and then when you, when you need help, that you ask for help. Yeah, I think all of that comes back to courage. So I, the neighborhood I grew up in uh, was a mixed community with Asian immigrants and Mexican immigrants. Uh, when people from Latin America and then Chicanos had been there for a long time. So I always celebrate the new year, like the lunar new year. And so my word last year was effective is the policy that I'm choosing. Uh, am I being effective? And my word this year has been courage. Do I have the courage to go in there and do we have the courage to call these lobbyists who they are? Do we have the courage to tell these polluters who they really are? Not just say, Oh, big polluters, no Wheeler, you're the one that's doing this. Or on the local level, we say, no, these are the same funders who are opposing this rule, oppose this one. I think we need to start naming names, and I think we need not be afraid of that. Um, and we need to have the courage to, to show up and step out of what you normally would want to do. Um, it's, you know, I can remember the days when all I wanted to do was get off work, have a beer, maybe smoke a joint, and play Frisbee all day. That's all I wanted to do. <laughs> and... I'm not that person. I mean, I still love to do those things, but I like my life is full in a different way. And I think it takes courage to uh, follow your passion. Um, it takes a lot of courage to follow your passion. It does. And, and at the same time, those, as you were saying before, a lot of the depression and the addictions and the other things that we're suffering from as a, as communities and cultures is I think linked to the fact that we aren't, to the fact that we have accepted things that we know at our core are, are really not okay. So, um, all right, so courage is an excellent word to end with. And, and so, Ian, you said before that people can reach out to you, they can reach out to the Colorado Latino Forum, um, but what would, you, what would be your kind of parting words for someone that is in a similar situation where they're, they're realizing their community is getting the, the short end of, of some of these things that are happening. Um, what, what would be your advice for how do they go from what you just said earlier? You know, you're that person that just has a job, you come home, you want to kick back, play Frisbee, do whatever, but this thing is nagging at you what would you recommend like in their first few months or first year that they could actually do? Well, there's a couple of things that cross my mind. One, I want to say, uh, this goes back to the courage to be bold and, and, um, 
you know, when I, when I ran for city council when I was 28 years old, so I was one of the only three people in their 20s to ever do it. And I lost and I was really sad about it. And I thought the system was really broken. And I think it's okay to be sad. It's okay to go inside just like the seasons. There's a winter for everybody and there's a spring for everybody. So if you try and you fail, try again. I want to say that. Um, number two, if you feel it in here and you feel it in here, those two things, when they unite, that doesn't happen all the time. Um, when I ran for city council, that was the one thing I knew I wanted to do for sure. Um, I don't know if I've felt that same alignment again, but that's okay. I'm staying my course because I know it in here. And I, I put in the comments when you ask the questions about it, there's a song I love. It's a hip hop song. It's called In My Zone. And there's this chorus and it says, um, all my haters really love me. They just pretend they don't. I've got sunshine in my pocket. I'm right here in my zone. So we keep our sunshine. We keep our optimism. All these people are telling you what you have to be doing or you're not doing it right or you can never win. They, they don't know what they're talking about either. They're just going at the game like you are. It's just easier for them to conform. And then if you're just getting started, and, and I said this a lot in my life, there are a lot of groups out there have been doing amazing work for a long time, and they're long in the tooth, and they're full of people who have so much mentoring to give. Uh, they're sometimes difficult to work with. You're from a different generation. And sometimes when you're young, you just want to do something for the first time. I started a lot of groups for the first time. I started a lot of new initiatives and you can claw and you can grind and you, you're going to end up okay at the end. But if you really want to work on say one issue, if you spent eight hours really researching it, you might find people in the community who, who like are ready for your enthusiasm, who are already six steps ahead of you. And then you can learn from them. And then when you're ready to branch off on your own in a few years, you can. And so there seems to me there are two paths. You're going to go at it alone right, and, and, and just grind, and you can do that, or you can, you can line up with some other people in a coalition. It's your choice. But um, I think the other one maximizes our community effort than seven people trying to plow the same road at the same time. Right now, we need seven people pushing behind one plow. And, there, and, and also, you know, be, be open to the idea that um, there's always time. So if you start stirring this pot and you get pulled into this one, don't feel guilty that you abandon it. You just say that it wasn't the right time. But you can pull old things out of your pocket and say, you know, I've been wanting to work on this for a long time. I finally have the time. That, a lot of people call that retirement. I'm on reverse retirement. I like to do everything I want to do in the beginning while my knees are still good. Um, you know, when I when I'm really just want to go to work every day and have a really normal routine, I, I'll probably do that when I'm older. But um, – yeah, I also want to just encourage, yeah, everybody, like, if you don't want to work behind a desk, you can do it. I gave up working behind a desk three years ago and never looked back. Yeah, so that, that goes back to that being true to yourself, really understanding what it is that is, is driving, you know, what are your dreams? And can I imagine these listeners, like, the fact that you even found your way to this kind of place means that you're already networking and you're vibrating on that frequency. There's a lot of us. There's a lot of us. And so, um, you know, find people like yourself. People tell you that, right? Your mom says, like, just keep being yourself and you'll find your wife or you'll find your friends. And, like, that's so true. Um, I know that to be true. And um, it's okay to let go of negativity, too. Uh, but I think probably, again, everybody knows that who's listening to this. Yeah, but I'm, I'm sure that a lot of people have had um, 
a lot of failed attempts at different things. And so your advice too is don't even worry about that, you know, just keep trying. And that's, that's my advice too, is fail fast. Like just pick up the pace of failing. Don't worry about succeeding. Just try to, you know, if you're going to fail 10 times before it works, then try to fail every month rather than every year because <laughs> we don't really have time to, to do this the slow way. <laughs> All right. Fail fast. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much for hanging out today, Ian. I know you're busy going here and there and doing a lot of important work um, on our behalf on and on everyone's behalf. So thanks so much for doing that. And remember, everybody that's listening, the time for action is now because there is no planet B. Okay. Thanks, everybody. And thanks, Ian. Bye. Yes. Thank you again for having me. And I want everyone to see what my shirt says. Recognize indigenous knowledge, people, and land. They recognize there wasn't a planet B either. Well, that's it for another episode of the Green Team Academy podcast. Remember to check out all the resources to help you make a positive eco impact in your community at greenteamacademy.com. Thanks so much and see you right back here soon.